because there isn't anything that pays you as much money as acting while you are deciding what the hell you're going to do with yourself. <laughs> What was the Nazis' final secret? Who taught Hellboy how to light a barbecue? And what happens if you're the last Swede to die on New Year's Eve? The answers to all these brain teasers lay ahead in this 21st Midnight video with your hosts, me, Phil Walsh. And me, Jim Hall. Tonight, George C. Scott investigates a murder and uncovers mysteries from World War II. How exactly does this involve Marlon Brando's business empire? We stick rigidly to 1980's The Formula. Then, back in time 80,000 years to a pre-matchstick and Zippo lighter age, which leaves chilly caveman Ron Perlman, Everett McGill and Ray Dawn Chong brassic in the Jurassic, thus triggering the quest for fire. And if you thought a Jules Holland Hogmanay special was the worst thing that could befall you on December 31st, well you're probably right, but all the same we offer up tuberculosis, domestic trauma and a literal rag and bone man for 1921's The Phantom Carriage. We're back for the first of our bi-weekly shows. Mm. So you find us tanned and relaxed. <laughs> yeah. And obviously we've spent the last few weeks watching the films very leisurely, several times, making lots of notes. Speak for yourself. Coming up with hilarious routines to do. <laughs> um, Phil, when did you watch these? I watched them all this afternoon. <laughs> One after the It was a triple bill of epic proportions. With no toilet break. Pretty much, actually. I just had a jug of coffee that I... Weed into. Well... Yeah, you we don't on. need Sorry, to go. Sorry, lowering the tones already. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how has the last few weeks been for you then? We've had some unseasonally hot weather as we yeah. hit the first week of October now. <clears throat> yeah, I um, had the in-laws over because it was my little boy's birthday. Zeb was two on Friday, so uh, Grandma and Grandpa were visiting, which was nice. They're obviously from the south of France. They were lapping up the hot weather. Le Grandma. <laughs> Le Grandma, yeah. And, um, yeah, I was, before that, I was at Cigarette Burns, uh, female prisoner all nighter, the Saturday before, mm -hmm. which was both excellent and extremely taxing on me after a few days. A mini fright fest. Yeah, a very mini one. Yeah. Don't, don't start reviewing them if you didn't watch all of them. <laughs> oh, that'd be horrid. <sighs> In jokes. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, audience. <laughs> and what about yourself? Um, not a fat lot. I thought I had a permanent job but hasn't quite materialised. But I'm still in employment for the next few years, hopefully. But um, uh, people don't want to hear about my uh, ways of paying the mortgage. <laughs> that sounds quite sordid. No, it's all <laughs> above board. Although, no, I did text you the other day to say I was indexing a photo published in, of all things, the Daily Mail of Florinda Balkan. That's very cool. And Malcolm McDowell in bed together. This was from a film. This wasn't some... Um, this wasn't how he lost Mary Steenburgen. <laughs> was that who he was married to? Really, yeah. Mary Steenburgen. Who's, who's the Back to the Future three? Yeah, yeah. yeah Steenburgen. Yeah. Steenburgen. Uh, yeah. Curb your enthusiasm. Yes. Married to Ted Danson. Yeah. 
Ted Danzig. Ted Danzig. Morocco's deadliest martial arts expert. Anyway, so yeah, that's everything we've been doing for the last few weeks. <laughs> Condensed into two small minutes. Two thrill pack minutes. Anyway, yeah, should we uh, get going? Yeah. Christ, we sent rockets to, to photograph the rectal passages of Jupiter, and the kids wind up in, in porno films. Rocky and Karate Kid director John G. Avildsen is used to making films with formidable opponents slugging it out, but thankfully George C. Scott and Marlon Brando keep their clobber fest on a purely verbal level in 1980's The Formula. Police detective Scott investigates a friend's sleazy murder and unravels a trail leading through American oil fields and onto modern-day Berlin, still haunted by the legacy of the Reich and a secret leaving plenty of bodies in its wake. So I think I chose this one. You did. Um, <laughs> you definitely did. Purely because I received a Marlon Brando box <laughs> From Marlon Brando. <laughs> no, I got it because it had reflections in a golden eye. As oh, yeah, you've been uh, big in that one up for a while now. Yeah, because apparently that was an influence on Nicolas Cage's performance in uh, The Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> it could be The Wicked Man as well, actually. But anyway, I saw this other one with George T. Scott versus Paul uh, and Brando. It didn't phrase it as versus. <laughs> They've got the two heads yeah, opposing each other. In it the is poster. like a rumble in the jungle kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I thought, oh, it could be intriguing. You know, so I, I expect it to be a kind of a Cold War thing. Didn't really click about the the Second World War connection at all until the very first opening <laughs> title mm. is in that it's sort in of that, font. Yeah, the red. Like kind Fatherland of, or yeah, something. Yeah. You know, the kind of thing we're talking about. Any any Nazi thriller will have that very imperial kind of uh, lettering font. But yeah, this was a film I'd certainly heard of but never seen. And I'd seen stills of it. I was familiar with these shots of Brando looking like quite a sort of um, cheerful old man, didn't he? He's kind of, uh, yeah, a bit like Dick chubby, Cheney sort of A less cheerful old man. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he's got his little half-moon specs on waistcoat. He looks quite genial, doesn't he? Mm. And I w had it mixed up in my head because I know in the eighties he also did he did he went quite um, he didn't do a great deal did he he did there was ten years between this and his next film I think um, well not well this is the the film I had it mixed up with is Dry White Caesar which I know he's playing a kind of civil rights lawyer in mm. South Africa I think but I f I got those mixed up I thought this was something where he was playing some it was a very worthy you know a message film and he was going to be playing this good guy whereas uh, not to give too much away but he's not a pleasant guy at all is he he's a real capitalist he's a son of a bitch as they say <laughs> yes, as George C. Scott would say George C. Scott in his double denim yeah oh wow yeah, he yeah was I mean this that. is it you, you go from the uh, we'll explain this as we're going along yeah <laughs> we have that opening with the fonts but then there's a prologue set at the, in the dying days of the war isn't it it's kind of like the end of uh, Inglorious Bastards Basically, yeah. Yeah, with the Nazis, uh, you know, they're they're very typical villainous, <laughs> the villainous Nazis. Richard Lynch, actually, isn't it? Yeah, the Ninth Configuration. God, yeah, I hadn't realised it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but because he's got the scars and yeah. the throat. Um, but yeah, you're wondering how this is going to time with things, and then it actually it's quite good. The way it cuts to the modern day, but I don't think it actually puts it up on screen. You just realise that we're on the war's long gone. The film is totally differently. It's shot totally differently at that point, isn't it? Yeah, there's sort of like a, a, a vista of freeways. Yeah, and, uh, American. So it's clearly not, unless it's a very low budget film. <laughs> 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 what, uh, um, but yeah, George C. Scott with his sort of teenage son, who gets interrupted by a Asian cop, Sergeant Yatsua, I think. Well, I think he comically mispronounces his name quite a bit. Doesn't yes, he, if, I, <laughs> if I remember. 
Um, and yeah, George C. Scott is is he retired or off duty? As he's a, off duty. Yeah, he's called in. Yeah, he's he's called in in his double denim. It just doesn't really suit him. I suppose they had to, the costume department had to say what sums up a cop who's off duty for the day with his <laughs> teenage son. George C. Scott in dressed more like yeah Don Williams or one of the Dukes of Hazard. Um, and goes off to investigate this murder of one of his friends, which uh, is revealed to have something to do with cocaine and... Um, I think it was an old police colleague, wasn't yeah. he, basically? Yeah. Cocaine and naughty ladies. Sounds good. Uh-huh. Typ typical of the 80s. The before I go any further with this, um, it's probably not a great thing to do, but I'm going to quote another review. Because <laughs> while I was watching this, I, I looked up uh, Leonard Maltin. I've still got the film guide he did several years back. But it was just so accurate, I thought, to this. He said he called it a matter-of-fact thriller. And uh, you're nodding your head. Mm. This, it felt like it probably should be quite epic, or it, I suppose in some ways it was a bit like um, the Bellatar movie we did. It's something that you could imagine anyone else really getting some something juicy out of it. But it seems very kind of, oh yeah, we found this, and we're moving on to this. It, yeah, it's the Nazis, it's oil. I don't think it's given away too much to say there's a big, uh, Big business plays a huge part in this. It's a conspiracy film. Um, yeah, a bit of a companion piece to Marathon Man in some ways, I suppose. Or is that a bit of a cosmetic? Mm, yeah, Nazis. I can see where you're coming from. Well, in that yeah. it's yeah, it's 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 the legacy of the Nazis in modern day America. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm just. It's by no means a badly made film, but it just doesn't really have a lot of umph to it. No, yeah, I thought it was very flat. Mm. Um, it didn't. There was some sort of light relief whenever Brando was on screen. Unfortunately, he's only, <laughs> in, about, he's only in about like two or three yeah, scenes. Yeah, this was Brando's era of um, cameos, wasn't it? So yeah. you had Kurtz, um, Superman's dad. Mm. Is it Jor-El? My mythos. Or Carl el Jor-El. Jor yeah, Jor um, well, actually, just today I saw Russell Crowe in his... Um, th this is on the oh, internet, us. not just walking around the streets. <laughs> in his magic cape. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's all about now. Um, yeah, when he was just doing highly paid cameos, but I mean, he he does well in it. Although he's very, I think this is the time you know. Famously, the mumbling Brando is usually seen as the Godfather, uh, Don Corleone. This was a much more mumbly role. I thought I was having yeah. trouble hearing. I was only just about catching what he was saying. It reminded me, in some ways, actually, there's a kind of weird link to one of the films we're going to cover later. Mm -hmm. But his role in uh, the Island of Doctor Moreau. Oh God. <laughs> because he did all his own makeup for this as well. He chose how he looked for this. Yeah, again, he's got that John Betjeman kind of look to him, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. it's, um, but it's a less eccentric performance than Moreau. Yeah, oh, certainly. Yeah. But it, it, it's that sort of. He's obviously. He's, he's got the money in the bank yeah. and he, he he can do what he sort of wants. And you're not sure if he's just taking the piss a bit. Exactly. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's not one of his more flamboyant performances, but you can tell he's putting in a slightly grandstanding performance isn't he yeah and then George C. Scott it really reminded me again it seemed to be like his first part of um, playing the role that he'd do, do later in The Exorcist 3 Exorcist 3 is it Kinderman I think the policeman in that yes. but also have you seen Hardcore the Paul Schrader yes oh think, yeah which I think everyone now is taking the clips from and splicing in whatever inappropriate film he could be watching um that is worth watching. It's it's mm. an interesting film, but yeah, it's it's another. I'm used now to seeing George C. Scott as the guy who's investigating some um, trail of horror. Um, but yeah, this goes from the American oil fields and onto Berlin quite rapidly, and I'm not sure I quite followed why. 
No, uh, I think it made sense made sense at the time, but trying to remember back now after a, a few days, I'm thinking. Um, I'm trying to remember back. A few and you only hours. watched it a few hours ago. <laughs> you were weaning your in your uh, cafeteria at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, is TV movie a bit too unfair? But I don't think it's that far removed from that. In terms of pacing, um, and yeah, I think that opening at the end of the war is great. Mm. I think that was really well done, and I, I did think it was going to be quite an epic movie. I mean, ultimately it's less than two hours, and obviously the quality of a film isn't dictated by its running time, but you just, I thought it was going to be something really substantial, and it was a bit... Uh, that's my review of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in terms of um, plot from there, um, George C. Scott, who, well, he always looks the same kind of age, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he, he looks does. like late middle age. But he quickly gets involved with this relatively young uh, woman. I think she's probably about forty, is she or late thirties? Who's mm. the niece of someone who's the next link in the trail of Doctor Paul Alberman? Oh yes, mm. uh, the formula, the titular formula is this thing called Project Genesis. One of many, many cinematic <laughs> Project Genesis. Uh, Star Trek. Is uh, it one of them. No, no, that's the Genesis Project. Come on. Okay. Britannia <laughs> Hospital has I think, Project Genesis in it. But yeah, there's a fair few. But yeah, it's basically George C. Scott meeting a succession of elderly Germanic um, dignitaries, um, a lot of whom get shot dead quite quickly. There's, there's a, there's some action in here, but not like. Yeah, it's, it's not a screeching spa- rubber tire. sparing me. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's it. I, I'm, I don't really want to say this film really needed a lot more action, but it just needed a bit more. Ta- I mean, the other week I went to see the, the the new Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy film, which everyone's saying it's quite languid and whatever. Mm. And yeah, it, it was really good, but that didn't really need any action at all. It's a surprise when even someone doesn't fire a gun but produces one at one point, and you think, "Wow, this is <laughs> quite vulgar." <laughs> um, and this was, yeah, this this could have done with. I, I suppose that tells you. Well, I guess that tells you what I think of this film, which is it doesn't quite have that. It's not made with that much skill or panache that it can carry off tension without resorting to, yeah, the occasional someone getting um, snipered, or there's this kind of not really at all necessary uh, scene in a sleazy nightclub, isn't there? Oh God, yeah, with the images of the. Um, well, it's got it's in Berlin, isn't it? Is it on the border? Yeah. Oh, it's. Yeah, it is on the border because it's going like a, to Switzerland. I think it's an they? updating of the kind of decadent twenties yeah. in Kit Kat kind of place. Mm. Um, in cabaret, but Isherwoods, Isherwoods, yeah, yeah. Um, but with these silhouettes of uh, women dancers in SS peaked caps, but on behind them back projected all this imagery from World War Two. It's not just the Nazi flag; it's like oh, it's full on crystal yeah. and all this kind of stuff <laughs> going on, isn't that? I just think, wow, where in Germany would this be going on? Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Especially I think that, in 1980s. Although that, like I say, I think that was kind of unnecessary. But mm. It does then lead on to one of the few interesting scenes, which is uh, yeah, George C. Scott's picked up with this younger character, Elisa, who's, if I pronounce her name right, is Marta Keller, I think the actress is. Yeah, who is um, in Marathon Man. Oh, right. <laughs> wow, you can get a little <laughs> double bill going about, there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she has sort of a, a traumatic reaction to this. But, you know, the, the there's too little in this to really make it worthwhile, which is a shame because I think the the ultimate message of it is um, modern capitalism, consumerism is in its own way as heartless and has so little regard for human life. It's it's you know the oil men aren't that much different from the Nazis, or they're all part of one big mm. you know lack of morality. Yeah, I don't want to be overly harsh on it either. I mean, 
I think I certainly read that Avildsen tried to get his name taken off the film because um, he edited it and then later on is it Sarang or Sanger who wrote the mm. novel and the screenplay who produced it he actually recut mm. it All right. um, also removed loads of Brando's scenes so that, that could explain the yeah the, the lack of um, the iffy pacing maybe right. or um, because just, certainly if you think of like Avildsen's other film that he's famous for which yeah, you mentioned Rocky Karate Kid they're punchy films you know they deliver in, the in goods in all senses yeah <laughs> but yeah who knows how to deliver a melodrama or yeah yeah but this you know the, the one standout scene for me really throughout the whole film was the when Gilgood has a cameo oh god I forgot he was in and it he, uh, he kind of out of character almost really chews up the scenery and has a what yeah because you're used to him laugh. being this very laid back sort of cucumber sandwiches kind yeah. of performance <laughs> which is what people wanted him for after all but yeah he's really quite he's doing he's matching um, Olivier here isn't he I think yeah I would have thought so yeah and voice wise unrecognisable you know? mm. he is an actor I guess he's capable <laughs> of quite a, quite a well known one but yeah no I'd forgotten he was in it but um, yeah I suppose if you're getting a film with George C. Scott, Marlon Brando and Gilgood you're expecting something a little different to this. What I will say is I thought the end was good. I mean, we're less, we're, as usual, we're not going to reveal what that is but I think that was a satisfying Definitely. ending to it. I think it might Outcome. be just that that becoming to the end of that era, like late 70s, where you could still get away with that kind of thing yeah. um, without letting on too much. <laughs> um, and also, that yeah, like you said, that sequence at the beginning, I did really really love the, the fact that it opens up with elephants running through a oh god yeah, yeah it's a bit like Gangs of New York isn't it yeah. it's almost a shame they then have to explain that and say oh they, the Russians have shelled the zoo I was it's kind say, of a nice yeah. surreal moment when you've got you know munition dumps blowing up and these <laughs> elephants parading around <laughs> in a back um, I'm not sure if you had a chance to do much research onto this if you watched it in a rush but um, this was a nomination for the raspberries for the very first golden raspberry yeah, yeah. I didn't know that um, <laughs> not that I'm a fan of worst movie was it worst picture yeah, yeah which I think went to Can't Stop the Music I'm not sure if Gilgood was particularly upset that he lost out to that he could have been in the audience but um, but yeah I, I'd hoped actually this had won the golden raspberry because then this and Howard the Duck meant we could have possibly worked our way through uh, quite a list of them there <laughs> any other George C. Scott you wouldn't mind covering I oh, know Exorcist 3 yeah I think we should probably do Exorcist 3 at some point yeah I think that would be interesting it's kind of I suppose sort of over. I only saw it for the first time not long ago mm. and um, I thoroughly enjoyed it I, uh, I think it would make for interesting conversation because you weren't that keen I wasn't that keen you? but I was it wasn't that long after I'd seen Ninth Configuration for the first time and really loved it so I was thinking this is the other blatty directed film it's going to be amazing and it seems a bit hmm uh, yeah Maybe it's worth a revisit then. Yeah, but um, or maybe we yeah we could have a look at more of Brando's back catalogue. Was it? Um, oh, there's a lot of Brando's that needs looking. The August Moon. Yes, <laughs> um, which I think was nominated for worst most ludicrous racial impersonation. I've got that in the uh, box set as well. Wow, this is like the pits of Brando. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, it has got Julius Caesar in a double disc of uh, Mutiny on the Bounty. Okay, so it's not all. Uh, You've sold it to me. <laughs> they kept flushing my toilet. Over and over. Can you believe the German nation defeated by men who have never seen a toilet? Okay, it's time for some feedback. Um, we had a really nice email from uh, a new listener, although a listener who made it very clear he's listened to all of the shows, all <laughs> 20 shows in about the last week or something. So hello to Michael Little, who sent us a very generous 
email which for time reasons we've kind of cut down but it was <laughs> I think what we've left in is probably most of the negative stuff but um, <laughs> we've cut out the two-thirds of incredibly positive stuff but exactly. uh, <laughs> Phil take it away okay so he writes I was quite surprised to hear myself mentioned because of the 70 movie challenge on the episode when you reviewed Perrin Barber although I still can't wrap my head around how one of you could call Perrin Barber largely charmless that sounds like me <laughs> Pick apart Sir Henry Rawlinson end, that sounds like both of us, and then go on to subsequently both give two thumbs up to Hellraiser Bloodline. What a pal that one is. I wanted Hellraiser in space, not 10 minutes in a cargo hold and 75 minutes of a bland, mystery-killing, low-budget, full-moon-esque, four-period, earthbound origin story. I'll stick to the otherworldly dark fantasy of Hellbound. Well... Well, everyone knows what we think about <laughs> Bloodline, so it's yeah. Uh, well, we invite um, you know, it's great. Uh, diverse opinions. Yeah, and I enjoyed Inferno as well. The follow-ups. Oh yeah, was someone asking about that? Yeah, I think that might be mentioned. Yes, possibly in. <laughs> or I think it was might. I think he might have written um, on Facebook asking yeah. if we were going to cover it. So we'll see. Anyway, I'll carry on with Michael's uh, email. And he goes on, I was happy to see that you covered Static. I really love that film and have actually had the pleasure of talking to Teeth Gordon. Teeth, Teeth. Gordon? <laughs> the follow-up to Flash Gordon. I really love that film and have actually had the pleasure of talking to Keith Gordon back and forth through email. He's a really nice guy and a completely underrated filmmaker. On the show, you speculated that most of the credit for Static should be given to Mark Romanek, but I think it's an equal split with Gordon, if not totally leaning into his corner. I haven't seen Never Let Me Go yet, but have you guys seen Gordon's Waking the Dead? No. No, nor me. I think it's a completely unchampioned masterpiece. You both should go watch it right now. I also loved his directed version of Dennis Potter's The Singing Detective. The Lots one with uh, uh, Downey Jr. With Iron Man, yeah. No, I, because I, I love the TV show The Singing Detective. Um, I remember trying to watch it, because it was on late on BBC probably a couple of years back, but it was so... I think it was a bad. What I saw of it was bad in its own right. Mm. Um, I think it's got the same problem as um, the movie version of *Pennies from Heaven*, where the idea of those TV versions, um, the, TV, the miniseries, where they were very matter-of-fact, everyday worlds, but they broke into these songs. Yeah. Whereas with a, in a Hollywood film, you've got the money to wheel on these big sets and Busby Berkeley routine, mm. that it kind of defeats the object of the glamour breaking in you know normal people doing these songs yeah you know. yeah but also just um i think because again i love the tv show sing detective so much compressing all of that six hours or whatever it is down to it's only about an hour and a half i think the film it's pretty short yeah, i haven't seen it i've, I've never yeah. really um I, yeah, I like you i love this i mean i may i may give it another shot because like i said i didn't watch all of it but um mm. we have we have possibly got a dennis potter adaptation coming up um in the future Ooh, watch this space and Michael goes on his Kubrick influences definitely show in both of those films but all of his directorial films are really worth checking out The Chocolate War, his debut A Midnight Clear and Mother Night he wanted to be a director from the beginning and only used his success as an actor to get behind the camera anyways, give Gordon a look sometime okay. Michael. well thanks very much Michael I'm yeah, sorry appreciated. I'm sorry we've let you down on a few of those yeah. but that was, that was good, it was a real blast from the past because I've forgotten a lot of those I remember review. Uh, 
I've forgotten reviewing a lot of those films. Um, no, I hadn't. Well, <laughs> it's probably because of black with the editing. They sort of stick with me yeah, a little bit but, longer. Uh, yeah, we've only been doing this six months, but you know, you build up, um, you build up films after a while, don't mm. you? I guess. It has reminded me. I need to try some other uh, Jack Abisco stuff, which I've got like lined up because. Mm. I know. I think you were more disappointed with Perrin Barber than I was. Um, but I, th- I thought it know. was large chance. <laughs> I thought it was horrid. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, thanks for that. Please keep your feedback coming in, and uh, we've got a little bit more later on. But uh, on with our reviews now. Onwards, everyone. <laughs> If Facebook's ever forcibly altered your profile settings without telling you how to get the old ones back, you may have some sympathy with the Neanderthal Ulam tribe, who one day lose the sole flame that all their fires have been lit from, and are clueless concerning how to get a fresh blaze kick-started. With no online forums available to provide the answer, three of the tribes set out on a life-threatening quest for fire, a journey that will involve saber-toothed cats, mammoths, and a fair amount of unembarrassed El Fresco Rumpy Bumpy. Okay, so I thought this was a fairly well-known film, but you'd never heard of it. Never. Obviously, heard of it was it. only big in the early eighties. Uh, it was possibly one of those things that had a reputation because had lots Estelle of Estelle knows it really well. We, oui. the French, of yeah. course. Well, it's directed by a, it's co-French production. Yeah, French co-production. Sorry, but yeah, no, I'd never, never heard of it. Ron Perlman's debut. I didn't even know it was this. Yeah. Um. So you've crammed this in next to the formula. <laughs> this was the first movie of the afternoon. So. Gosh. Um. <laughs> So yeah, a caveman epic. Although you know, considerably different to like I can never remember the title. What's the Raquel Welsh one? Is it Ten Million Years BC? Yeah, I've probably got the years wrong, but you know the one oh, I mean, which yeah. has like lizards with um, cosmetic gist. roughs, <laughs> uh, optically printed to look bigger. Whereas this is, um, yeah, it's. I think there's a lot of. We've just explained what the setup is. I mean, it's quite a simple setup, isn't it? But it um, is what it is. I suppose it was the the Bing Caveman movies before that, but this is it's gone to some lengths to be kind of accurate. It's got um, things that are well worth mentioning up front. You've got Anthony Burgess, um, who's created several types of language for it. I mean, there's there's just a lot. Well, there's there's very basic language, but you just you follow it from there. Is this on the back of him like doing? Uh, is it Nads Nads? Whatever, what for the clockwork orange? orange. Uh, possibly, but he was he was, was fluent. He, he was, yeah. Uh, he was, right. Was, I, I don't know if he was like academically a linguist, but he was he, he was fluent, he was fluent in lots of languages, right. and um, you know, yeah. he's sticking his name on with. Um, <laughs> but I do remember seeing, I think, footage. I think it was when Burgess died. I think there is some footage somewhere of him creating the language, and I think it's him and Desmond Morris, the. Um, the naturalist right. is that right the naturalist or is that just someone who the naturist not a naturist that's <laughs> right. uh, Desmond Morris who wrote Naked Eight which is a fantastic book still um, came up with this body language kind of system and between it yeah it, it, even though it's a very simple thing it is a quest for fire isn't it it's yeah. these cavemen coming well Neanderthals uh, coming across all sorts of perils and um, I, I don't want to come to my opinion of it yet but it's, no, it's no. Uh, there's that, that approach the makeup in it as well it just I guess it was the first time you'd had that quite old genre, but someone had really tried to do it authentically. Yeah, they've gone they'd all tried out. Tried to put some effort into, yeah. Yeah, with the locations as yeah. well, trying to like find locations where 
you could put yourself in that world, as it were, you know. Because um, this was around the same time as Ringo Starr's Caveman. <laughs> uh, I think that was about 81. Did someone put something a link uh, to Steve, that I think, was yes. it? Yeah. Or Facebook. How did you find it? I don't know, it was a mixed bag. It was a mixed bag for me. <laughs> it um, was forever at McGill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I read somewhere afterwards that likened to it, likened it to an extension of the first twenty minutes of um, two thousand one of Space Odyssey, mm. and yeah, I, I completely agree with that summation of it. That's pretty much how I felt, and also i was i was laughing a bit at that as well because you know you've got burgess and morris who are yeah. prominently displayed there of putting in all their their input their yeah. input or yeah. whatever when you know it was just a bunch of guys in monkey suits who did the same kind of job <laughs> like uh, 30 years previous or 20 20 years previously uh but I, that's that's being a bit picky <laughs> about it yeah because i guess well carry on yeah um the thing is, I've seen a couple of Jean-Jacques Arnaud films before. I've s- he did Name of the Rose a few years later. With which Ron Perlman. was the first Ron Perlman film I ever saw when I was quite young. And he also did uh, Black and White in Colour, this quite amusing um, movie set in Africa. It's about colonialists, uh, French colonialists. Uh, it's farcical, basically, um, comedy. Both really good films, and I was very surprised at realised that he'd done this um, bizarre prehistoric story but then you know there's a lot going for it there's the amazing locations Ron Perlman who always looks like Ron Perlman even a lot of prosthetics he has quite a distinct look doesn't he Um, yeah and not to be cruel to him but yeah with other cam actors here you can tell they've had prosthetics to build up their foreheads and extend their jaws and things you know what Ron Perlman looks like he doesn't need that no (laughs) he's Hellboy but you can recognise him in a way you if you didn't know it was Everett McGill, I don't think you'd say, oh, it's that guy from Twin Peaks. No, no, yeah. No. But I did find it dragged a lot for me. Um, I'd like... I think we've said this about quite a lot of films. I think it would have been much better as a 40-minute, uh, much shorter quest. It just seemed to go on too much. A rummage. You know, trying to find rummage for fire. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed to drag on a bit. It, it was... Yeah, I, I guess there are, there are restrictions on how you can tell that story, especially if you've said, well, there's not going to be dialogue, you're not going to build up romance, because that's an interesting thing in this for me. There is kind of romance, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. This, this is the thing I really loved in this, is it. they're midway between recognisably being uh, the, way they act, the way that people act in the modern age, but they just don't have any kind of social conventions, do they? No. So, yeah, we did mention the uh, Rumpy Pumpy in the intro, but that's a main thing, isn't it? People, um, men are just raping women, and it's they're kind of... Ir- women are irritated by this in discomfort, but it's it's not any trauma. No. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but um, that's something that brings you up a bit short when you're watching it, thinking, wow, yeah, it, it does make you think how much of the way we act and our responses to things are ingrained in all these conventions that have built up over thousands of years. Mm. And indeed, one of the amazing things in this that I, um, yeah, ultimately, I don't think this is spoiling it, but it's not just a quest to find some fire. The ultimate thing would be to discover how to make fire from scratch, you know. Um, you'd have thought the next thing might be the wheel, but actually what they um, come up with is the missionary position. Yes. This is kind of a major, <laughs> <laughs> this is a major moment in the film where after all of this just, you know, rutting, um, it, it, that that seems to be the invention of a romantic, you know, a, a kind of um, 
or what do you call it, consensual sex mm. and an affirmation of something rather than just sort of a biological function or something. Well, it's, it's like the beginnings of love, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's establishing um, uh, something that separates humanity from the animals or from the base mammoths yeah, from, from well, elephants let's, let's <laughs> elephants with rugs on them I thought they looked alright <laughs> they looked alright yeah no they did however they didn't look as good as the um, oh what are those bloody things in Star Wars the Wumpers or the, what, the the sand people have them yeah, Panthers. Panthers. Yeah. yeah, I thought those looked better. Yes, yeah. oh, the Panthers. Saber-toothed tigers are all right. Because I was thinking someone must have put those bloody teeth in. I they don't did. Know who's I, d- <laughs> I wanted to mention as well that I've, um, fortunately or unfortunately, being married to um, a French person, I end up watching a lot of French films. Uh, not as in what the yeah. British think is like art yeah. house films and stuff. I watch a lot of oh, like the, u- the usual for, and there's a comedy group called Les Nuls who were around in the 90s and they uh, they parodied Quest for Fire quite heavily in a film called Rrr, or you know Oh, you I've heard of that whilst doing this. I oh think. right. I may have come across that. Oh, okay, yeah. but I didn't because it wasn't until later I thought oh maybe I should have had a look to mm. see if there was some links, <laughs> a missing link yeah. and um, yeah there's there's every animal in, the, in their uh, film has uh, tusks, little yeah. tusks. So everything's like there's a Yorkshire Terrier with little tusks. <laughs> the Yorkie Mutt, it's called. Oh. And um, yeah, there's just lots of that through. So I was watching Quest for Fire and thinking, oh yeah, they did that in. Oh, you've seen it from the parody <laughs> side, or yeah. yeah. Well, I, I did really from pretty much when the I can't remember what the name of the fir- Ulam is it Ulam is the tribe when yeah. they're first attacked by these weird looking monkey. Well, yeah, because well, there are about half a dozen different tribes in this who will seem um, not just tribes; they're different stri- um, different branches of pre-humanity, if that's the word. Because <laughs> this thing, ultimately, the Neanderthals died out. So I suppose even though at the end there's quite a, a upbeat ending to this, mm. ultimately they all died out, <laughs> didn't they? Or were bred out of um, who knows. Yeah, because like, like Rain, Raydorn Chong's tribe uh, yeah. seem to be Obviously like a lot the more advanced because they picked Raydorn Chong up. Uh, who uh, people going to be familiar with her? Do you think? It's Commander. Oh God, yeah. Um, but yeah, she was the daughter of. Um, she still is the daughter of Tommy <laughs> Chong. Although um, a, a little aside, I looked her up. You didn't look up her. <laughs> <laughs> I looked her up, and uh, it mentioned that she uh, a role she had was Mick Jagger's love interest in the video for one of his solo singles Just Another Night which I remember and I looked it up it's absolutely astonishing this video <laughs> not like Ray Dawn Chong well she's good in it but yeah. Jagger oh my goodness Jagger who's not a shy performer is he no. has always erred on the side of flamboyant stroke <laughs> camp. we're going to have to post it up I'm going to show it you after we've recorded this because okay. it's just the beggars oh, believe it, even for Jagger <laughs> oh man it's something else and it's quite an extraordinary video it's Jagger with Raydon Chung in a nightclub, and then he sort of does this performance. But then it keeps cutting to seemingly like clips from a film that never existed, <laughs> with Mick Jagger having an affair or something. Not, not Fitzgerald. No. <laughs> oh God. No. I think we need to cover some Jagger at some point. Did he oh, play yeah. Ned Kelly? I think. Yeah, and yeah, he's in Free Jack, which I bought recently. There's two million credits for merchandise on that slab. <laughs> uh, we've got to get a little Jagger on this. Yeah, I've lost track of that. No, um, I th- yeah, there are several other tribes 
or branches of humanity they come across. And I think that was really good. I think it gave it a real feeling of a much bigger world and how the odds are already against these poor sods because they can't even. They've only they've only got a flame that they've been using for some time. They don't know yeah. how to make fire. They just found that, that probably after a, a bit of lightning struck something. <laughs> or whatever. It's like the but Olympic torch other, or something, isn't it? Every other tribe they come across seems much more advanced and like they've stopped and thought things through, including which is probably really um, it, it's <laughs> probably an unpleasant thing, including this astonishing scene where there's this tribe of kind of orangutan-looking guys who are cannibals. And they've captured people from Adol and Chong's tribe, including her, and have them hanging from branches, but clearly just take a limb off every so yeah. often. <laughs> so you have got an amputee in body paint hanging upside down, wondering what's going on. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's quite an inventive way to keep meat fresh, you know, I say with some horrible admiration. <laughs> but yeah, all that, I mean, th this is this is something I really liked about the film is when you can't take anything for granted and so you are saying god yeah that must have been so clever mm. to one day for someone to think you know you could sew things together or yeah the secret of fire isn't something you naturally come across obviously no, so, something um, you have to make, yeah. so yeah I think that's really interesting to watch those different tribes and watch them all you know their different stages of development um but yeah, going back, to you say it's sort of comical from the beginning. The first thing I liked is they do set off on this quest, and it's obviously the matter of life and death for all of them. Um, but they immediately get chased up a tree by some tigers, don't they? It's, oh, and, and it's clear they do the old film thing of they're there, then it cuts to sort of dusk, and yeah. then it's the next day. It's, it's clear <laughs> they've been stuck up there all night. But I do like the idea of like cats chasing humans. Well, yeah, no, not quite it's, humans it's lovely. Up the tree. Yeah. But yeah, comedy. Before that, the fact you've got a bold caveman. Yeah. I thought that was a really yes, nice yeah, touch. Yeah. <laughs> he's bold and ginger. And I think he's described in... It's only Wikipedia, so, but they call him the fire tender, as if that's his job. And yet, twice in the film, he, he drops the fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 and then drops it in the water. And, <laughs> and you think, man, how did he get that job? Because <laughs> he's bold. He's yeah, different. but... I, 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 yeah, you're you're right. It, it's got kind of an odd pacing, but I think that's inevitable because they've already set themselves this restriction. Well, it's not set themselves. They have had to adhere to this idea that's no language, so you have to do things very different. The Robert McKee mm. guidebook to you know churning out a film script is gone by this point, isn't it? That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, no, and yeah, yeah. I I wasn't bored, but yeah, I was certainly looking at how long there was to go because I had watched this before a few years back and really enjoyed it. Um, although, yeah, not not sort of wow, this is the best film ever, but it, just that feeling of seeing the world in a very different way. I, mean, yeah. I really enjoyed it, so I was keen to watch it a, um, a second time. But yeah, no, by the end I was. It it is one of those things that I just think strips away your conceptions of the life you're living on a day to day. Thinking, God, yeah, we've, we've had to go through all these thousands of years to wind up with. Um, Strictly Come Dancing, <laughs> or whatever uh, awfulness is going on there. I did, um, I did notice just another link back to one of our old shows. It was uh, edited by Yves Langlois, who um, edited the little girl who lives down the lane. All oh, right, you've but done well to notice that. Yeah, that was the other. I just recognised the name, so mm. uh, I'd look back through his uh, previous. I can't say I, I didn't like it. I certainly didn't love it, but I'd agree with with your feelings on it that it's it's so different from anything else that I've seen um, even after I can't think of any other 
Well, Maybe there's one I've not seen, kind of the cave bear, which may have Daryl Hannah, but I've not watched that. But oh, I think there may have yeah. been a is bit that where she got like a white yeah face white, with a red possibly with a yeah red stripe yeah with a kind of red stripe <laughs> yeah. But I will check that out because I did I did enjoy this. It'd be nice to see someone else's take on it. But I don't yeah. know the fact Daryl Hannah just makes me think it's going to be somewhat more glam and. Um, mm. But as a yeah, sorry, I, I just remembered where yes. I mentioned the editor though, uh, as well, because I thought it was very clever how they linked these very disparate locations because they filmed in places like Iceland, Scotland, America, uh, Kenya, I think. Mm. But they managed to edit it in such a way that this journey it was very believable, like the the terrain that they were going yeah. through. It, it 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 really like summed up your ideas of that um, prehistoric earth. Yes. Yeah. Going back to your mention of 2001, obviously there's going to be, you know, you're going to see it that way. But um, the music through it, um, is it Ligeti, the guy you like? Ligeti, yeah. yeah. There did seem to be some music that was very much... I don't know if that's just... The choral singing stuff. But I'm not sure if after 2001 that was just became cinematic shorthand for ominousness and also, you know, Dawn of Man kind of music. Or whether it was a direct reference, because... But Again, they did have some pan pipes in there, which I found a little bit. That's not your. That's not <laughs> your thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quest for pan pipes. Because um, yeah, I mean, as usual, I don't want to spoil the ending, but there's just a little bit at the end which does involve one of the tribe looking up at the moon, and I wasn't sure if that was some link to two thousand and one because I know that the main ape in that in the book's called Moon Watcher, mm-hmm. which suggests he has that ambition, and it did seem an odd thing to in- deliberately include at the end of the film, as if now we've got fire. That's kind of ultimately what the uh, the ambition we're <laughs> aiming for next. Yeah, the first Neanderthal <laughs> flight to uh, <laughs> to the moon. But um, no, well, I'm I'm, oh, I'm glad I'm glad you've seen it. Yeah, no, I'm glad I've watched it. I'll, um, yeah, I think that's the kind of thing that definitely shows that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> check this crazy shit out <laughs> <laughs> in the Anthony Burgess language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the same one had the Klingon dictionary. I think Anthony Burgess had all the profanity. <laughs> check this shit out. <laughs> Okay, so a little more feedback this time from our ongoing A to Z of Movies Through Midnight video. Uh, always looking forward to your contributions on that. I'm not sure where we are now. Is it JKL? JKL. JK yeah. Rowling. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're always glad to receive stragglers. Um, this isn't quite a straggler, it's just that I was very, um, very ill prepared last time and forgot to print this off. But thanks to our friend Colin Waters from the Scottish Review of Books. Um, I've just mentioned actually Colin's got a podcast going now for the Scottish Review of Books. It's about three episodes in. Obviously, it is books, but um, there's all sorts of other interesting things there as well. And on the first show, um, Colin does a good feature on Werner Herzog. I think he had an heroic sort of attempt to watch as many of his... I I think he realised he wouldn't watch all of them, but I think he got two-thirds through. But there's one there I'd never heard of, the Loch Ness Incident. No. Yeah. I don't know about that. No, it's worth checking out. But I think the latest one he's got... um, he does a feature on Grant Morrison as well. Oh, Interviews okay, Ian cool. Sinclair. Are you familiar mm, with him? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's, um, and um, yes, I'll be doing something for the podcast uh, very soon in time for Halloween. Cool. As indeed, shall we, for Midnight Video. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But anyway, Colin says, F is for From Noon Till Three. Charles Bronson rightly has a poor reputation these days. Well, he has been dead for a while, I suppose. 
Uh, thanks to a stretch of remorselessly bad films he made during his 70s and early 80s heyday, many directed by Michael Winner. Well, not, not just those Japanese uh, aftershave adverts he did then. Wow, really? Is he another celebrity? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, man. But of course, Brosnan was the lead in Once Upon a Time in the West and a member of the supporting cast in The Great Escape, The Magnificent Seven and The Dirty Dozen. He also appeared in a couple of interesting Andre de Toff B-movies, House of Wax. He's a mute in that. Mm. I think he's Vincent Price's henchman, but <laughs> uh, I think they rightly decided to make him a mute in it. Yeah, uh, House of Wax and Crime Wave. In 1976, he made an unusual film. From Noon Till Three is a melancholic western in which Bronson plays a bank robber who has a dream the raid he's about to go on with his gang will end in disaster. Come the day of the raid, he weasels out of it and spends the three hours his men are away attempting to seduce a hostage he's taken. The film is similar in spirit to The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Without giving anything away, the raid is a disaster, and while Bronson gets away, his afternoon of love has odd consequences for both him and his hostage. The ending is an unusually harsh and downbeat version of John Ford's old Print the Legend theme. Never heard of it. No, no, me. I'm Sounds interesting, though. Yeah, I'm not the yeah, biggest I mean, Bronson yeah. fan, to be honest. Who but is? I've never seen Once Upon a Time in the West, but... Um, really? No, yeah. Ah, I, was, yeah, yeah. I bought it um, the other day after being told that I have to see it. So. Who's been saying that to you? Dave Averse on oh, Twitter. Yes. <laughs> so I'll, I'll sort that out, Dave. Promise. Anyway, next up is we've got a J from good old Richard Sampson. He says J is for Japanese movies. It's an obvious one, but they just make movies like no one else, from the body shock weirdness of Tetsuo and 964 Pinocchio to the slick craziness of Mike and the grim nastiness of the All Night Long series. They're a rich mine of midnight video greatness. Check out www.midnighteye.com for pretty much the best site for Japanese news and reviews. I didn't know about that site. But no, we've not checked it out, so apologies if it's a virus link. I'm sure Rich <laughs> wouldn't do that to us. <laughs> Given how long Collins was, do you want to read out the next couple as well? Yeah, okay. And from Sean Pomeroy Habib, he writes... Hi, Sean. J is for Peter Jackson. I've been a fan ever since Bad Taste was first released and have loved all of his horror, comedy and fantasy films that I've seen. And then he's given us an H as well. H is for Hell. One of my favourite franchises is Hellraiser. Also, Hell Comes to Frogtown is a favourite of the year. I also generally like the imagery of how Hell is depicted in film. Well, it's quite varied, isn't it, really, how Hell is depicted? It's yep. Flames. There can be ups and downs. <laughs> I don't know, uh, you know. You get a lot of um, ornate places as well, don't you? I'm not sure what I'm talking about. <laughs> After we've done the A to Z of um, movies through Midnight Video, we should do lots of different versions of Hell. Yeah, that'd be good actually. Get your uh, hell. We'll have uh, Little Nicky, the Adam Sandler film. Oh yeah, with the uh, Hitler getting buggered with a pineapple, I seem to recall. Yeah, and um, Harvey Keitel's limbs dropping off. Oh, I've not actually watched it. Oh, have you not? I've seen it a few. <laughs> I times. just know about uh, Hitler's, oh. Hitler's pineapple. <laughs> okay, and this is from Nick Sawyer. Sawyer. Oh man. And it's from Nick... I, sorry, we did read one of yours out last time, Nick. Nick Sawyer or Sour, I'm not sure how to pronounce the way the name. Get in touch with us yeah, and let us know so we don't embarrass ourselves anymore. Yeah. F, I'll take the Forbidden Movie title, but not for the planet. The movie Forbidden Zone is one of those amazing films that should have made the midnight movie circuit in the US. It's directed by Richard Elfman, Danny's brother, so guess who does the music. It's shot in black and white 
and it was Richard's intention to have it colorized and make it even more surreal than it already is. Hervé Valachès' tattoo from Fantasy Island stars as the horny king of the sixth dimension, and Danny put, and Danny plays the devil. Um, I know that was reviewed on Mondo Movie a long time ago, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it would be a long time ago. Don't do anything <laughs> for ages, have they? <laughs> um, but no, have you got that? Yeah, I do. Have yeah, it, I yeah. seem to remember you having it in a bag at some point. Have you watched it yet? Nope. All right, we'll get round to. Uh, but I did at spot that. it on. Uh, our friend Richard Wells um, has been doing movie qu- making up movie quizzes recently, and he he had that on one of them. And mm-hmm. I, I just saw I saw Herve Village. And I thought oh, it's got to be it's got to be Forbidden Zone. You're the father Herve because what? Yeah, he's tattooed from Fantasy Island, but also his knickknack is the yeah. uh, man with a golden gun. Herve Valachess, who had a terrible life. Uh, I think he was in constant pain because he had one of his vertebrae was missing. Um, Only one. Yeah, it was, he did time for, I think, killing his girlfriend, or shooting her, uh, at least. Um, and I think he was, I think he had a brain tumour, but ultimately he shot himself because the Fantasy Island reunion was cancelled. This is terrible. It is. Because um, I think one of the last things, they were, the, the article I read, because I remember I was in America when he, um, when he killed himself, and this was in one of the sort of tabloids, which I've still got, because uh, I was fascinated by him. It said he was so short that when he had to leave his house for a few weeks, whenever he had a deep clean on the carpets, because he was too close to the fumes. Oh my god. <laughs> but anyway, thank you for all your A to Z contributions, and keep those coming in. When you're lying on your deathbed, is it likely that your final request will be a catch-up chat with a misanthropic tramp? In 1921, Sweden had odd ideas about what made for a holiday season movie. Thus, we end tonight with a ride with a spectral driver on the phantom carriage. This winding tale covers consumption, alcohol abuse, family disintegration, and the precise rules concerning how the afterworld claims the newly dead. So it was interesting that you wanted to cover this because I was quite keen to you were familiar with it already I well, was you've familiar heard of it. with it because of the later version that Titan commissioned which mm. is the version we've watched which has a um, uh, the music is done by a, a band called KTL uh, whose members are Steve Stephen O'Malley who people might know from Sun or Earth um, famous drone bands uh, from the 90s onwards and a guy called Pitter and it, it's kind of quite electronic ambience drone as you say <laughs> yes. um, so I knew it from that and it was also featured on Mark Cousins um, the story of film and Odyssey and this because I've been watching talk- that and really enjoying it I didn't notice this when they talk about um, the film industry in Denmark Sweden well Scandinavia yeah. um, there's a mention of it there um, it, it, pretty brief, but it, it's the if it's good enough for cousins. <laughs> yeah, is is he rocketed up your? Uh, we should probably explain this. Uh, we did yeah. put a link up on the um, on the Facebook site. But yeah, there's been this. I think it's a really good documentary series so far. It's I think it should be on the in. national curriculum. It I, should. I'm but very impressed. <laughs> I wasn't. It was the idea of this show is great, which is you know it's covering the whole history of film, but around the world and you know right back to the beginnings. 
Um, but when I read it was presented by Mark Cousins, who, you know, after Alex Cox did such a great job on the movie drone um, seasons back when I was a teen and in my early 20s, he just came along in the late 90s and just hoovered all of the fun out of it. But um, He brought the grunge. Well, oh man. He got, no. got rid of the punk and they had the grunge. Absolutely. It wasn't even grunge, it was more like a, a, an 80s Genesis album. Just <laughs> no, no rough edges to anything. Everything was incredibly precise and slick in it. But no, it's a really good series. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely um, fantastic. Which I, I think it may all still be up on more. Um, the f- I think call it four play <laughs> the more four catch up uh, player 4OD 4OD uh, th- yes. the first episode's gone now unfortunately oh, right. but I'm sure it'll all be a 12 part DVD yeah. in a yeah. few months time yeah, yeah. but um, no this was odd because you'd heard of it through this band KTL yeah. whereas I seriously I was just look. I felt we hadn't done enough um, Scandinavian stuff and uh, I, I was looking forward to doing another silent film after Harold Lloyd which was something that wasn't like slapstick it was you know moodier so um i came across this quite randomly i was just going through lists of films from different countries and uh, mm. when i saw a clip it said look um it was the thing of the spectral uh, you know coach driver not a coach it's a cart isn't it yes um but yeah so right you've you've watched three films in the afternoon this <laughs> this kicked it off then this was the no third. this was the second this was the yeah, right, I finished with the totally wrong the wrong order yeah. completely right <laughs> even though I knew what I had to order I had to watch them in I had to you know, mix it up a bit <laughs> yeah um, and yeah did you have any expectations of this before you uh, to be honest I didn't expect it to be as long as it was yeah it is uh, whatever else we say about it it is long um, given Harold Lloyd not, not that that's the standard for all horror um, <laughs> silent movies but an hour and a quarter is a nice Pacey thing, possibly for similar reasons as uh, Quest for Fire. If you haven't actually got dialogue, I think that kind of uh, limits what you're going to be doing, or it, it it puts a restriction on how you're going to tell your story. So if it's an, an hour and three quarters with no dialogue, is quite tricky. And also uh, the, the the filmmaking style yeah. um, is is so different. It's, it's so quite, much more uh, basic. Leisurely, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, no, the, um, yeah. There's the basicness of the technology involved, but yeah, it does repeat and reiterate things a lot doesn't it mm, yeah you know there's um there actually is a, there's a bizarre scene quite early on in this this starts with this woman uh salvation army woman uh, on her deathbed making this request and i didn't it did amuse me that she was um her last wish was to bring david home to me i just think who's he so it sounds a bit like david coleman the old sportscaster well i thought that. it was david holmes who's like yeah. an irish uh, producer who's gone on to make soundtracks and stuff, but he used to make a lot of techno and but stuff. Yeah, like that. It sounds a very kind of run of the mill kind of name, doesn't it? Yeah. But he turns out to be this um, ne'er do well. But let's not reveal too much about him because the film does so at some length. It's actually um, the director plays him, doesn't oh, it? Right. Sjostrom. Right. I, I really, I don't know how to pronounce uh, Scandinavian no, language. We've lost our Scandinavian listeners there. Um, <laughs> But yeah, much of it is this myth that on the last person to die on New Year's Eve takes over this carriage, which I thought it was the Grim Reaper, but it's not, is it? It's no, like, it's the driver of the yeah, carriage. Death is somewhere off screen. It's kind of like he's the head of the company and this is some uh, minimum wage drone he's, <laughs> he's pulled in. Quite why, it, it's a bit odd I found this. Yeah, this was possibly told me how engaging I found the film, was that my mind was wondering to... 
it's not your fault if you're the last person to die on New Year's Eve. Usually you'd be condemned to this if you did something morally dicey or something. Mm. But just if you happen to die close to midnight, it's not your fault. No, no, no. It's, but that's the sort of... I, don't, I think that's um, an oldest sort of uh, trope of storytelling from a different period yeah, where it's, it doesn't really matter Like if you there's no moral sort of yeah, uh, well, I don't know, I thought they'd always start off with a moral and then yeah, I mean, well, actually, off, I'm sort of I'm outdoing myself there. Yeah. I thought the whole thing was quite puritanical. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing is, obviously, there are time zones around the world, so presumably this is just the <laughs> Swedish branch. It's like death is above yeah. and just has the different time zones of the world divvied up for midnight. It's got a very particular egg time. Absolutely. <laughs> but I don't know, I'm joking there, obviously, and yet, once that happens, it does seem to be a lot of sitting down and explaining how things work, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Once... It, uh, because yeah, um, <coughs> David Holm dies at midnight, um, so he has to take over from the previous driver, and it's all done. I'm sure we should have explained this. This is, I think, very um, atmospheric filmmaking when you've got the actual carriage because it's spectral, it's translucent, and I think it was quite a complex film process to do at the time because there were hand cranked yeah. cameras, weren't they? So they had to yeah do them exactly the same speed yeah. the double um, exposure but no I think it looks really good you know but it, yeah, it's something we've used to now but it does look very spooky and atmospheric I yeah think. but after that when this tramp has to take over from the previous driver the two of them sit around chatting for quite a while about <laughs> yeah. well this is what you'll have to do and I think there's a, it takes some of the um some of the drama out of his job that he he ends up trying to it's pretty much he's a dog's body isn't he because yeah. is, there's a scene that you think wow this is quite a bizarre image so when the, the, the yeah the yeah. when the carriage is going across on these lashing waves and you want it's so he can go to the bottom of the sea and pick up a drowned victim the but it, fix fisherman is yeah it's, you know and then I think he's just picking the bodies and throwing them over and there's some um, there's something inherently Scandinavian about that though because there's like just, a you've guy got a called duty Roy to Anderson who does these sort of very flat or even I know it's not Scandinavian but Aki Karasmaki mm. that sort of matter of fact you know this is just yeah. life goes on even through death you know <laughs> life's still mundane you're still going to be doing this kind of <laughs> nonsense um but yeah, I think as we, we both agree, it does go on quite a bit. Um, and a good thing I will say about it is I did really enjoy the KTL soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know you're watching it this afternoon. I, I mean, I deliberately waited till it was um, I had a night free when I could sit down and watch it after dark. Uh, and I, it, was, it was pretty atmospheric. Um, yeah, I mean, I I own some of their stuff, mm. um, solo work, other work, and stuff anyway but yeah I'm a big fan of that kind of, it works really well because it's just it conveys probably a kind of mood that I, I read that previously they'd usually play classical music yeah. by Mahler and the like mm -hmm. where, whereas this this this, this droney effect yeah. really does sound, music with some said it about the stuff it sounded a little bit like Popple Vuh but also yeah. um, I know you, you know you know some Klaus Schultz stuff from yeah. the 70s it's um, yeah I was watching it and actually trying to separate the two and thinking I think this modern soundtrack's doing most of the work here. <laughs> yeah, I'm possibly. not sure how enjoyable I'd find the film if it had anything else playing over it. Because, mm. yeah, it goes on for a long time, and also uh, it splits up into, is it five chapters? Yeah. Which all start with this, um, it's like a mixture of a clock ticking and someone banging on a door, isn't it? It's yeah, it feels, it feels very live. Sort yeah. Of sound, uh, yeah. Uh, um, but, yeah, I'm not sure if that's a great move to split it up into five chunks. 
because it makes you aware of how much time is passing. <laughs> I did like. I I'm not really that knowledgeable about silent films or certainly films of this age, but I do love the fact that all the interior scenes are sepia and then the out outdoor scenes are all these blues. Mm. And I've seen that on stills from other films um, as well. I don't know whether that's just because of the lights or the the process um, afterwards and yeah. when they've printed it. Whether that was something they did at the time or whether yeah. it's something they've m more recent exactly e editors have done to when it. they've done it. Yeah, but yeah, it does work. But yeah, <laughs> Philistinism again. I wouldn't mind this being chopped down. But something we've um, we need to mention. It does have quite an unusual storytelling structure doesn't it oh, the it's a flashback then within the flashback someone starts telling a story that we then go and watch and this happens throughout and in fairness they do always unravel sorry uh, ravel backwards so that you're back to where you should be but yeah. I was wondering if that was whether that was just part of it being the early days of cinema and people didn't realise that overly that makes things overly complex if you're going to do a flashback with a story inside it or whether they were whether they were trying that out to see if it worked or whether the guys just didn't really know what they were doing at all and it was an accident. The fact yeah. that it does always then come back to where they were meant to be would suggest... Um, when you read reviews of it, not that I've read that many reviews, certainly that was something that's been picked up on. If you go on Wikipedia or IMDb, that they make a, there's a bit of fuss about that sort of flashback within a flashback storytelling. But I just think that's very sort of... I said this recently as well. It's, it's a very liter literary kind of um, way of approaching the yeah. storytelling and I think I think they they were just doing it because they thought well it makes sense because like you say it unravels back anyway and it does you don't get that confused well I didn't get that confused by it no but you were just thinking again this is quite an odd thing to do so I, yeah. I guess between this and Quest for Fire we've had a couple <laughs> of uh, bizarre things tonight mm. We should stress actually, because this does sound like it's going to be a straight horror film, doesn't it? But it actually yeah. is more of a social drama, isn't it? It's more about the ills of alcohol and it's quite melodramatic, and yeah. melodramatic and <laughs> melancholy. The actual idea of the ghostly cart almost seems more like a device for telling the story, doesn't it? So the guy, it's probably a bit Christmas Carolish in which the guy gets a chance yeah. to observe how his life. Um, I wrote that down. Yeah, yeah. Christmas Carol. Life. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I mean, there was a few things. One of the big problems I had was this sister Edith, who's mm. trying to um, re um, rekindle the the positive human spirit. Yeah, but with David Holmes, I don't really see what's her motivation because she is absolutely. It's like she's um, she's going through the Passion of the Christ for this guy, basically. Mm. Um, Who has a mustache? Yeah. Yeah, and she she alludes to like love being in love with him at uh, one point, doesn't she? Yeah, I remember because and then it, it was almost like he had a bit of a Han Solo bad boy kind <laughs> of sexuality to him. But he really he was such a bastard. And I won't tell you what it. Um, you'll know what it. I won't reveal what it is. But there's a scene where she puts a lot of work into something, and he just really just rubs her nose in it afterwards. You think it's quite shocking to see something like that in such an old film. Yeah, it's like you know. Um, Particularly cruel. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's not like graphic, but it's just like, oh, that's really nasty. Um, but yeah, he does. He's a really nasty piece of work, and um, but that leads me sort of also my s slight issue with it is just how puritanical it is. You know, it's really it starts really bashing in the sort of um, 
the Christian overtones sort of coming towards the end. But yeah, I mean, it it's Ingmar Bergman. It was Ingmar Bergman's favorite film. I read it's, that. Yeah, apparently he watched it at least once a year. <laughs> but any other and he got the death idea from it for Seventh Seal. Yeah, I can even kind of. Oh, well, this is it. I mean, what's <laughs> the most famous Swedish movie? So it yeah. did seem like it. It it would, see, it would seem to us they may be a bit preoccupied with this. The old uh, the old Swedes. But, um, <laughs> Other strange celebrity link was before KTL, Jonathan Richman from The Modern Lovers did a soundtrack for it. Oh, uh, Jonathan Richman is, if you don't know him, you'll know as the minstrel in kind of something about Mary. So uh, <laughs> quite odd bedfellows there. Um, what did you think of this scene with the axe through the door? Here's Johnny. Here's Johnny, yeah. Um, uh, it played quite well, I thought. Yeah, it was a bizarre thing to watch because, yes, there's a scene with the strife at home with David Holm and his domestic situation where he yeah he's axing the door down and even it seemed <laughs> to get to his wife and children yeah but uh, you were wondering did Kubrick watch this because I think it was mentioned on one of the internet things I saw but they said it might The Shining may have been equally from a D.W. Griffith oh right uh, yeah movie I think I read that as well uh, that rings about bell the um, Desert Blossoms or something I don't know yeah so um well, definitely worth looking worth at, it, but definitely yeah, worth it. like everything we watch, it's worth looking at. <laughs> Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Apart from John, no, you've got to watch Jonathan because I've sat through it. I want everyone. Else <laughs> right, to everyone suffer. else must. <laughs> if you die on New Year's Eve, you've got to watch Jonathan Livingston Seagull for I, the next. I highly recommend <laughs> watching this version. I've not watched any other version, yes, but it's definitely really the KTL soundtrack. soundtrack. Yeah, it's a good one. Cigarette Burns. Indeed. At the and do you remember me mentioning I just watched a film called People vs. George Lucas, which it raised a point which I'd not realised before. People talking about the whole um, Hans uh, Greedo shoots first <laughs> oh, yeah. being you know, re-edited in there. And people saying, this changes the essential nature of Han Solo, you know. We want him to be this bad boy kind of character. And someone pointed out the thing is, even if you do that, it doesn't change the fact that they're smuggling drugs. <laughs> and I've never thought of that. They are smugglers, Han and yeah. Chewie. And what are they smuggling? Presumably, it's drugs. But because probably not going to be guns. You know, the Star Wars universe looks fairly weapons-heavy anyway. Got loads. I'm assuming in the future, pornography is fairly freely available through some equivalent of the internet. Maybe there's some really. Crazy the only other thing it could be is people trafficking. Yes. But then doesn't Greedo have the line about Jabba doesn't want smugglers who drops his cargo at the first sign of Imperial involvement? That's true as well. But, you know, I mean, what's a few people for these guys? I don't know. Maybe that'll be what George uh, Lucas edits into the next, whatever takes over from Blu-ray. He'll, he'll put <laughs> Maybe there's smuggling CGI Jawas <laughs> falling out of the back of the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Anyway, that brings us to the end of... Uh, well, if, if it had been what? Richard Gere, he'd been smuggling Banthers. Richard Gere? Yeah. Oh, I see yeah, what you're getting. Instead of Joe. I see what you're getting <laughs> at there. But yes, thus ends show 21 of Midnight Video. We've come um, of age. <laughs> yeah, I suppose we can legally do anything we like now, can't we? Well, we're within reason. We can drive an electric lawnmower. <laughs> been doing that for years. I bet you have. <laughs> 
but yes, it'll be nice to uh, hear from you guys. If you want to get in touch with us, you can check out our website, which is midnight-video.com, which is always updated with um, well, supplemental stuff. Yeah, I've, I, it's so much easier to put stuff on Facebook, well, to be you've honest. You've started putting up stills from the films, so yeah. you know, even if you've no intention of sitting through it, uh, you know. I like this an idea. Hour I and think three it, quarters of um, it entices people Swedish even more. Afterlife. <laughs> And Steve, our mate Steve, made a good point because um, they're all sort of singular, and yeah. it looks like a reel of film. So I like that. You think you're doing them in a double point. double tier? Well, y you wanted to do that. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Let's get some feedback, people. But, yeah. Um, what do you think? Other than that, Facebook, you can find us easily. That does have a lot of supplemental material on and um, discussion threads. So it'll be that's probably the best way of getting your uh, A to Z recommends through to us. Yeah. Um, that or email. Email which is midnightvideo at hotmail.co.uk. That's the one. Excellent. And also, we're on Twitter at midnightvideo. Um, yeah, I just update now and again on there. And, you know, you can hear from us. And also, we mentioned it last time if you want to hear what films we're going to be reviewing um, in the future, just send us an email that says future film forecast in the title. And uh, you can be in the know. Yeah, we've got a very long list ahead now. We've suddenly got a little organised. We probably won't stick to it too rigidly, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I'll six months worth of shows. Ahead I of certainly us. send out as soon as we've recorded a show. I'll send out an email letting you know what the three are. Yeah, um, and just to let people know, we mentioned last time the possibility of meeting up for a drink on October twenty second. That's now changed. Yeah, it's more it? likely to be the mid November. It won't mid be the fifth of November no, on the no, way no. then, but I think maybe mid November. Maybe the second weekend second in November. Weekend. But yeah, let us know if you're interested, and uh, well, we'll let you know all about it. Yeah, no, it'd be great though. I mean, it's always good to see. People. I like drinking. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. It's good stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it then. Okay, that's it from us. We'll uh, see you in two weeks' time. Arrivederci. Atiato. She can set the place on fire. I play um, <clears throat> a rough guy.